Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today, we hear from Jane Tranter, co-founder of Bad Wolf, the transatlantic production company behind award-winning series, including The Night Of, His Dark Materials and A Discovery of Witches, about how the seismic events of 2020 affected her own firm, but also changed media and entertainment, and how she sees the sector shaping up for 2021. If you've been following some of the articles on C21 recently, you'll know we've been spending time thinking about what the TV industry looks like beyond 2020, trying to kick last year into the long grass, but taking some of the lessons learned into a bright new future for the business. Jane Tranter, co-founder of Bad Wolf, the transatlantic production company behind award-winning series including The Night Of and His Dark Materials, spoke to me about how the seismic events of 2020 affected her own firm, but also changed media and entertainment, and how the sector's shaping up for 2021. She reflected on how Bad Wolf completed the third and final season of Sky fantasy drama A Discovery of Witches during the pandemic, the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement, growth of streaming, and her fears for the viability of smaller indies amid COVID-19 restrictions and higher related production costs. Bad Wolf itself is based in Wolf Studios, which is a studio space that we lease in Cardiff. And we moved out of Wolf Studios on March the 18th when the first lockdown happened and we have yet to go back. We rebuilt our offices in order to make them work for working in a socially distanced way. We thought we would move back in July. We thought we'd move back in September. We thought we'd move back before Christmas. We thought we'd move back end of January. And now we have stopped thinking about that. And we'll just wait and do as we're told to do. The studio is still operational in a minor way. We have been filming a discovery of witches from it. And we've been using the full space of the studio in order to be able to film one production in a socially distanced way. But, you know, life has been very different for everyone in Bad Wolf, like it has for everyone since last March. Obviously, the travel aspect is is a huge part of all this as well. So you work between uh, Wales, the UK and and the US, uh, Los Angeles. All of that's ground to a halt, but um, you still have transatlantic relationships, obviously, and those are all being maintained over Zoom, presumably. Yes. So obviously, you know, we work very closely with HBO on both industry and his dark materials and other things. Things and AMC for a discovery of witches, HBO Max, I Hate Susie and, and various developments. But instead of doing what I used to do, which was go over to LA, originally it was about once a month and then it turned into once a quarter. I haven't been to LA for about 14 months now, obviously. Julie Gardner heads up Bad Wolf America, which is our sister company, if you like, in Los Angeles. And, you know, they've been dealing with their own form of different types of, of lockdown. So it's the same the whole world over. Uh, and we're just trying to, you know, maintain what we do in a different way. And as you say, you are managing to to continue to produce. I mean, I, I believe we've caught you at an opportune moment. You're, you're just finishing up on the third season of A Discovery of Witches, as you say, moving into a third of his dark materials and a second of industry. So how are you juggling all those things? And yeah, on a, on a practical 
basis, how are you continuing production in such a challenging environment? Uh, well, we were, I think we were amazingly lucky to be able to film the third season of A Discovery of Witches during the pandemic. You know, lots of people weren't able to position themselves in such a way as to continue. And with the incredible support of Sky and utilising a full studio space so that we could ensure that all of the artists and crew and everyone was put into individual pods, if you like, so that there wasn't just that general kind of like mixing um, and um, melee that there, there normally is in such a vibrant way on production. But we were very lucky that we were able to get that show into production. And I think that we only had one show to do. You know, we all we had to do was concentrate on a discovery of witches. And so the full force of the company did that and really worked to keep it safe. We've obviously in 2020, we were heavy in post-production on HDM and industry and I Hate Susie and season two of A Discovery of Witches, but we only went into production on season three of A Discovery of Witches. That was the only thing we had going. And it, it meant we were a bit, literally, we kind of like bespoke, produced that piece day by day by day by day with an amazing cast and crew to see us through. And in fact, this afternoon is, um, we finally wrapped this afternoon and we're only like a couple of weeks over. So we've done really, really well. I think we've been very lucky. So some of your shows, as you say, rely quite heavily on, well, very heavily on on uh, incredible special effects as well. You know, is that something that was advantageous in, in such a situation? Did that, did that mean that it was in some ways easier to complete production? So we used, we used the post-production in a very particular way on his dark materials. So we started filming the final missing eighth episode of his dark materials with James McAvoy on March the 16th. We shot the majority of his dark materials at the end of 2019. And then we came back just to do this one episode and complete some other bits and pieces. And James McAvoy magnificently came in and full James McAvoy, Lord Asriel energy, um, you know, had the kind of like the beard and the wig and the, the costume, the leather coat, everything. And uh, and we were shut down within about five hours of James kind of like, you know, bringing his electrifying presence to set. And we thought we'd just have to wait along with everyone else. You know, we weren't really sure what it all meant. But actually, as myself and the team, Dan McCulloch, executive producer and Joel Collins, production designer and Russell Dodgson, VFX supervisor and frame store team began to, and our Stephen Harron, as we began to sort of look at where we were in editorial and what we still had to achieve, we began to think that actually there was a way we could continue, that we could do the visual effects remotely, wasn't under question. Frame store had moved visual effects artists you moved equipment into their visual effects artists homes and started isolating them quite early on and so they were ready and waiting and and keen to get going and everyone sort of set themselves up we all all that kind of like key hdm team set themselves up remotely very quickly and because we'd worked together so closely before on season one we knew we would be able to complete post remotely i mean it's not ideal and i wouldn't like to do it again but you know it was possible and we knew we could do it what we then had to work out is how we healed the gaps, if you like, that not having that time to finish filming would give. How did we make up for the cracks in the narrative that was still open by not having that missing episode? And we just stitched editorial very carefully and we used 
visual effects to help us out and at great length managed to produce seven episodes that felt like a whole and bring you know to audiences HDM season two at a time I think when audiences really needed content of that kind and you know that it was just really carried through on the shoulders of a great team and very creative team who were used to working with each other and prepared to work in this strange way. So last year was uh, Bad Wolf's fifth anniversary, um, presumably not the kind of celebration you would have been planning when you set up the business in in 2015. But you know, what are what are some of the lessons that you've taken from 2020 that you're now taking forward into 2021 and beyond? Um, I think that you know when we look back on the five years, you know that was at a point when we had you know we made two seasons of his dark materials. We're about to embark on the third season of Discovery of Witches. We're launching and launching two new contemporary shows in industry and I Hate Susie and had a really, really strong team of people that we have been working with for some period of time, which is part of the reason, you know, I really wanted to set up in Wales was to be able to create an arena for people to work in where they would feel free to do their best work and where we could work fairly consistently together over time in order to be able to learn and and build on what we've done with each other. And I think, you know, I had two thoughts in mind, really, at the thought of our five-year anniversary. One was, well, that had gone really quickly, and by and large, it had gone really well. But it's also that sense of every production company needs constant renewal. You know, you move forward, particularly if you're lucky enough to be working on shows that that are, are continuing. But you can't just look down that microscope. You've got to constantly be keeping, uh, like, you know, everything moving forward and then constantly questioning, is that still what audiences want to watch? Um, where's the next, you know, good creative thought coming from? And I think that, you know, what I spent my lesson from 2020 is that sometimes you have to use a kind of like Welsh metaphor. Sometimes you have to lift your eyes from the valleys and look at the hills. And I spent all of 2020, really everyone in Bad Wolf did, just looking down the microscope of thinking, oh my God, how are we going to get these four shows through post-production remotely and all onto air by the end of 2020, beginning of 2021? And that's all we did. And while the rest of, um, lots of the rest of the industry was developing like crazy we weren't you know we were really just concentrating on delivering these shows and I don't think it's a bad thing because I think a lot of what was in development that was going to be made in 2020 if it hadn't been for the pandemic when it comes to 2021 and you start thinking again okay you know when you develop something you're always wondering if it's hitting a zeitgeist what's its connection with the audience is it relevant what's its resonance And I think a lot of perhaps what was developed, our world has changed so much. We've had the pandemic, we've had Black Lives Matter, everything's changed and for good, obviously, in many ways, um, not so good in terms of the pandemic. And I think what audiences are watching and how they watch have changed. So I am now trying to learn the lesson of 2020 that you have to lift your eyes and look at the hills and I have to think ahead for Bad Wolf's next new development phase, you know, in its next five-year cycle, if you like, starting. And I'm doing so while trying to listen and watch, you know, watch as much as I can and listen to what the audiences are saying as much as I can and think, all right, what, what will the next five years of television viewing be like? Because I don't think for a moment it's going to be like the past five years have been. As you say there, it wasn't just 
COVID that made an impact last year, but the Black Lives Matter movement too. How did you make inclusion a part of the way that you set up Bad Wolf in the first place? And, you know, were those efforts changed or invigorated in any way by the debate around diversity that we saw last year? I think inevitably invigorated and hopefully changed. I think that however, you know, however well any company thinks they're doing is just clearly not enough. I think that the industry is finally really focusing on what has been a real problem of exclusion. And I think, you know, we, a Bad Wolf as a company, just sort of double down on thinking, all right, we will, when it comes to casting, when it comes to crewing, when it comes to making any appointments at all, you know, you just have to hold diversity front of mind. And and I don't think it's, you know, it's not enough just to meet people and then say, well, someone's more experienced, you know, one candidate's more experienced and therefore regretfully you'll pass on the diverse one. You have to take responsibility. People like myself, who've been working in the industry for a long time, have to take responsibility that when you're looking at a director's list or a writer's list or DP list or Brits list or, or costume designers list, that there just aren't enough diverse candidates there. And people like myself have to take responsibility for that and think, well, we haven't given the time in the past. We must give the time now. And I think that's, you know, that's really what we're doing is, you know, you give the time to look. And if there isn't as much experience there, you take responsibility for that and you give the time to make sure that a less experienced candidate gains the experience working with you. But actually, if you take the trouble to look, you know, there are a lot more candidates out there than, you know, perhaps people think. In terms of casting, I think we've always at Bad Wolf taken the view that, you know, when you do adaptations, for example, that you cast for the spirit or the essence of what is there. You don't have to cast likey-likey. And I think that enables your casting to be as diverse and inclusive and interesting as you would like. And you can see that in his dark materials, for example, in particular. And then in things like industry, you know, that was at the forefront of my mind of our, our creators and writers, Mickey and Comrade's minds, at David Davis' mind, our, my fellow executive producer, that actually this was a piece that, you know, should really reflect the way contemporary London looks and as such really needs to have diversity kind of uh, ridden through it. And I, I do think, I, sorry, just to say, I do think that Bridgerton, for example, has really kicked open the door on um, what sometimes is a debate around um, diversity of casting in period dramas and whilst there is often a conversation around well historically there was a lot of diversity across the time in the UK our television period dramas don't normally tend to reflect that and I think that Bridgerton was just a sort of fantastic example of how you can just basically think well bollocks to all of that you know this is how we want to do it and true or not true this is how we see the world and this is a reflection of our world now and nobody but nobody does a historical drama or at least they shouldn't do a historical drama without thinking of how it holds a mirror up to the way we live now and if you're going to do that then diversity is absolutely critical in your casting. Bridgerton, a Netflix show, you referenced the fact that the world has changed in many other ways in this past year. Streaming too uh, has obviously been a major theme. Subscriber numbers were were soaring and we saw all the Hollywood studios pivoting towards their own direct consumer services as well. His dark materials, I Hate Susie, Industry, they're all on HBO Max, for example. So how have those dynamics changed things for you? Um, Well, I think also remember that his 
because Dark Materials is also on BBC iPlayer. And I think that on a show like His Dark Materials, which doesn't date in the same way, that it's kind of like a, you know, fantasy has a sort of timeless quality to it. I think that the fact that it can exist in that streaming world and that it's consistently there for an audience to view gives life to that argument that I think the pandemic has really, really brought home. That the overnight way of viewing something is actually, in my view, really something of the past. And that an audience, you know, where the true audience comes and the true value, the true size, true scale of the audience can be measured through the length of time of the piece and how audiences build over time. And I think, you know, there has been in the pandemic, you know, people have, I'm thrilled to say, people have obviously consumed a lot of television in different forms and it's been consumed. People have wanted to watch it when they want to watch it. You know, there's not really an awful lot of interest anymore in thinking, okay, it's nine o'clock on a Sunday night. I'm going to sit down and then I'm going to patiently wait till next Sunday. You know, if people want to, might want to watch it at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon to o'clock on a Tuesday morning or they might watch it nine o'clock on a Sunday and then they want to watch the next episode and the next episode and the next episode and I don't think we'll ever go back you know that Pandora's box has been opened I think that's changed forever and I think what will be interesting you know it's just like the BBC iPlayer is critically important to his dark materials you know yeah it launches on BBC One that kind of kicks the door open but that's where it's real audience is you know the interesting thing will be to work out whether or not that platform for viewing, the way viewers view, will also have an impact on the type of storytelling, you know, whether or not that storytelling will become more applicable to a kind of like, and then I watch, and then I watch, and then I watch, you know, that sort of, you know, binge watching, or whether television will maintain part of that heavily serialized kind of compelling narrative, but still have some story of the week type things. I don't know. I think we still got the themes of that to see. But I do think that the overnight viewing has just become irrelevant. So most of your shows are made with an anchor UK broadcaster, the BBC or Sky, and a major US outlet. Most frequently, it seems HBO. Why do you favour those kinds of co-production relationships rather than working, say, exclusively directly with Netflix or Amazon? So industry was really made were for HBO and the BBC bought into that but that's really just the way the past five years I don't favour that at all I'd love to make a show for Netflix I'd love to make a show for Amazon it's just how it's been I you know the people at HBO very well I know the broadcaster very well um, I worked there for on and off for many many years and it's just so happened that that's the way the cookies crumbled and we've been really busy making those shows for them and obviously I know the BBC well and I really admire what Sky have been doing over the past few years and it's just the way it's fallen. I would be surprised to think that the next five years of Bad Wolf would go in exactly the same way but when we started Bad Wolf five years ago Netflix and Amazon weren't the same players as they are now. You know we've all grown over the past five years and the industry's changing. One of those changes as well is that we're seeing the US studios increasingly keen to keep programming in-house to sort of power their own streaming services so how's that done? dynamic changing the 
kinds of conversations that you're having? I think it is going to increasingly film more like one-stop shopping. For a producer, I think that the places you go where you get co-productions are increasingly limited. And I mean, I'm not saying I think that's a bad thing either. I think there's something, you know, very simple about being able to make a show just for HBO and HBO Max or just for Apple or just for Netflix. But I think it's also good to be able to, you know, have some opportunity to get something which is perhaps started very firmly in the UK in the way that you can do if you start with a UK route of, say, the BBC or ITV or Sky. And it means that you're, it's almost like a declaration of intent that your show is very specific to the UK territory. And then you, you know, look for co-production partners and build from there. But you know, now you know, if you go and set something up with one of those UK broadcasters, you know that you are counting out being able to do a deal, you know, in any meaningful, immediate way with the streamers. And so you are, you're having to think very early Early on, which is, I think, is a big change. You have to think very early on about the type of production you'll be making and the scale of that production. Because if you don't set it up in that way right from the start, you won't be able to achieve that. How much additional financial pressure has, has COVID put on production budgets, and, and how are you navigating that? We hear figures of around sort of thirty percent in in some cases, and I'm wondering also how helpful was the UK government's production restart scheme in terms of insurance and so forth. So it's, I mean, it's definitely made filming more expensive. Um, so, for example, on a discovery of which is season three, we are making seven episodes only for the cost of eight because those costs have gone into um, the COVID costs and keeping everybody safe. It's slower to film. You have to stand the production down sometimes. I mean, we were very lucky. We didn't have to stand it down for very long at any point. You have to have a certain amount in your back pocket for a contingency when all those things happen, the cost of testing. It's just everything takes longer and it, it's, yeah, it's significant and it's actually quite scary. And I think, you know, the biggest impact that worries me about this is that actually you have to be quite a sizable indie in order to be able to take the risk to film in COVID times. I always, I said that because we were filming a discovery of which is season three, we were able to do that. But if it had been a discovery of which is season one, we wouldn't have started filming in September. And I'm worried that a lot of the smaller independent production companies will have no choice but to kind of like merge or become part of a bigger company rather than keeping their independence because they won't be able to film through 2021. And I suspect that our COVID restrictions will be in place for quite some time and it will prevent them filming unless they've got the kind of like the backstop of a bigger company behind to help them. I also think that potentially, you know, there will be a limit still in 2021 to how ambitious the kind of like, you know, getting productions back on the road will be. And again, I think it could be that uh, smaller production companies, smaller pieces, you know, could somehow get squashed out during this time. I think that we were just incredibly lucky that Sky were prepared to go on the journey of doing the third season of Discovery which is with us and they've just been amazingly supportive and I am very particular but we have managed to keep everybody safe but I know not everyone's been as lucky. Yeah it is interesting
interesting, isn't it? Because the the British Film Institute recently released a report into uh, the UK's film and high-end TV production sector last year. And um, despite all the disruption that, that there was sort of five, six months of production hiatus, the, the spend on high-end TV production in the UK was, I think they said, just about 11% lower than record figure that we, we saw in 2019. And uh, there was a big jump in, in the final three months of the year. But I don't know, perhaps some of that that expenditure is actually, uh, as you say, increased expenditure on COVID. I think it's partly that. I think it's partly that the three-month jump at the end of the year with productions being finished off that had started. And I think that, you know, the productions where a lot of money had been spent on them just had to be finished. Others perhaps, you know, might not have been so lucky. I think it's, it's very hopeful. You know, I think everybody is, you know, we're good at production in the UK and we're quite resilient. And I think everyone is absolutely determined, you know, to keep going. I mean, we're all constantly swapping COVID war stories and who's doing what and how you can, how can you do it better? Um, you know, hearing about a production that's been shut down and a sort of shiver goes over you um, and you hope the next time it, it, it won't be you. Um, you know, I always saying to Alex Prothero, our head of production, you know, we get to the end of each day and we're literally like prisoners kind of like crossing a day off thinking, all right, we've got through another day, you know, come on, come on, we can do this. And that is what people are doing you know and will continue to do until it's safe not to just explain a little bit if you would go back to the way that bad wolf was launched with backing from the welsh government and a a mission to return 100 million pounds i think it was to the local economy within a decade how did that kind of relationship come about, evolve, and and are you on track to um, to hit those targets? So we've we've hit those targets already. So what happened when Julie Garner and myself started to think about what we would do next? I was very influenced by the time I spent in New York filming the night of. I really really liked the consistency of the crews. I liked the passion, the commitment of the crews to what they were doing, and I thought a lot of that was a fact that they were able to live and work consistently in that area and it reminded me of the crews that we had worked with when Russell T Davis and Julie Gardner went to Cardiff to set up Doctor Who and then later when Julian Gardner and myself we were both based in LA at the time we went to Swansea to film Da Vinci's Demons uh, three seasons of Da Vinci's Demons in Wales and when I was in New York I look back and I always say I kind of like had this sort of feeling that you know it's Wales stupid you've been looking at building this whole Welsh production creative community and actually that's where you should be you know you should continue that journey and so I decided that you know I would come back to the UK and instead of turning right from Heathrow and heading into London and setting up there I'll turn left and base ourselves base Bad Wolf in Wales as a sort of declaration of intent of commitment to the nation and also because I really wanted a production company to be based where our productions were going to be made and I knew what you could do in Wales. So I thought, well, actually, you know, yes, it sometimes we'll have to go to London. Sometimes we might have to go to Europe or America or France or whatever it might be, but we can do an awful lot of it here. And therefore I want to be based where the productions are. I don't want to be somewhere else. And I also, you know, I think one of the advantages of starting a production company later into your career is that you are able to, you know, you had the experience to take a holistic view and think, yes, I want to run a production company. I want to make dramas of this kind, but 
I also want, you know, the satisfaction of basing ourselves in an area where we can grow the local economy and where we can open the doors of the studio to jobs to many. And so uh, I really wanted to find a space where we could put as many of our productions as possible, where we could have a classroom, where we had space for traineeships, internships, apprenticeships, etc. And that is what we've done. You know, we we every production that we have has a large number of training posts on it. We have a classroom attached to the studio where we take children age nine upwards so we can teach them about what we do and all the different jobs involved in it and safely bring people in and out of the studio to look at what's going on. And I I really wanted the involvement of if we were going to base ourselves there in such a large way, you know, I wanted the involvement of the community and, you know, that we put as much in as we could to say thank you for the welcome and thank you for being allowed to be there. But also because Bad Wolf itself, you can't build a 10-year strategy for a production company unless you're constantly growing new talent. And so that's what we were able to do. And so the sort of private-public relationship with the Welsh Government, we had a commercial loan from them and a commitment, you know, that we would be there and we'd spend that much money in the region and have that much job creation. And that's what we've done. And um, Lynn Blavatnik's Access Entertainment, run by your former BBC colleague, Danny Cohen, took a 24.9% stake in Bad Wolf in 2017. So you were talking about consolidation. You know, does that stake remain the same today or is there any sense it might be increased or relinquished, you know? Um, no, so Access Entertainment have 24.9% of the company. Julie Gardner and myself made the decision to do that at the time in order to be able to put down our roots in Wolf Studios and fit out that studio. And because of at the time, we were basically funding pre-production on these dark materials for quite some time before all the funding of everything else got put together. And so we sold the company to hold us secure while we did that. And because we wanted to have global partnerships, I think it's really important that when you are based in Wales, that you, again, that you look up at the hills and that, you know, we were making things in Wales to be shown globally and to be made with international partners. So having Bad Wolf has got a stake from Access Entertainment but also HBO and Sky have a very small stake in Bad Wolf. And it's just, I think it's enabled us to constantly kind of keep outward looking, which has been really beneficial to the company. And so where does the company go from here? Discovery of Witches, as you say, it's coming to the end of one trilogy, you're beginning work on the uh, the, the final part of um, presumably his, his Dark Materials, another trilogy. You've got another trilogy in the works as well, Bernard Cornwell's The, the Warlord Chronicles for TV. It's, it's all about trilogy. For you. I know. I know. I don't. I don't know why that is. We've also got Berlin Noir trilogy. Um, there is something I don't know. Um, maybe good things come in threes. But yes, we come. At, you know, we come to the end of the All Souls trilogy and his Dark Materials trilogy. But I think it's you know it's an exciting moment for Ab Wolf because we're you know we're all about now thinking about all right what's next. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be a trilogy. Maybe it doesn't have to be a book adaptation. We loved making Industry and I Hate Susie things which were original pieces contemporary I mean it's it's great to have that balance and now we are we're out on all right what what will the next five years look like what do we want them to be and I said to everybody when they came to start work on a discovery of witches and his dark materials and I said look if we're lucky enough we get this right we will be making the full trilogy so you have to ask yourselves are you and that will take about five years do you like these characters enough to think that 
you'll spend the next three to four to five years living and breathing with these characters. And if the answer to that is you're not sure, maybe this is um, the place for you. And and I think it's really, I have to ask myself that question. You know, when I was thinking about his dark materials and I was thinking, am I stupid to think of, you know, it's going to be such, so hard to take on something like this. And it's really outside of my comfort zone and outside of my direct experience. And all I could think about was I just want to spend that time with Lyra and Will and, you know, even Mrs. Coulter and Asriel, I want to spend time with those characters and in that world and see those journeys through. And I'm looking now to think, all right, who do I want to spend, you know, the next five years with? For me, those voices of those characters are, that's why I like such lengthy pieces of television. I like to really live in those characters' worlds. Jane Tranter from Bad Wolf, speaking with me for a C21 TV video interview you can find on our site right now as part of our Beyond 2020 content strand, exploring the lessons learned from last year and how these will feed into the business through 2021 and beyond. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.